Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This time, actually, I think things are going to be way smoother on many fronts. Uh, I've, I've now successfully removed the second mic that I had that was causing me all sorts of weird confusion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now I have piped the ethernet into my, uh, I have a, a now a router, a Wi-Fi router in my shed. So mm-hmm. no Wi-Fi problems. The peacock and the chickens, I think are chill right now during this time of day. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'd, I'd say cautiously, because these were famous last words, you sound better than last oh, time. Good. Good. Um, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, things are dialed in now. So it's like a professional. The only thing on, on my end is the kids will get home from school at some point, and that usually sets uh, Archie off. So, ah. But maybe maybe I won't be talking when that happens. Well, so I between you and the dog and creaky chairs and chickens and peacocks, you know. So um, I guess you want me to just kick it off? Yeah, do it. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the TechMeme Ride Home Experience for June 23rd, 2022. Today is a bit of a variety show, I guess. Brian, you didn't even get me your list of topics, but we're just going to kind of wing it. There's a bunch of stuff that's been going on, obviously, in the news, as as often happens. Um, and so I think this will just be a chance for you and I and maybe some folks from the audience to um, – you know, talk about stuff that's happening. Yeah, we always we always say raise your hand and we'll let you ask whatever, bring up any topic. But we really mean it today. What I have a list of, Chris, is like it's a combination of things that I haven't covered because maybe it wasn't enough for a segment or um, just things uh, sort of that I wanted to poke at a bit more, which I'm assuming you have as well. But um, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with you actually kicking it off if you want. If you got a few things, um, I, you know, you and I riffing is usually the best way to just yeah. kind of like find stuff to, to go deep on. All right. I got, I got, a, I got a real uh, – there was a time when you were the podcast ombudsman. I, I still uh, feel like I am. I was thinking literally well, yeah. about that yesterday, given this experience you've had with the premium feed. I was like, I'm that guy who still has to like, you know, call him out on stuff. Well, you're um, – I mean, you're sort of uh, – a co-host kind of like you're, well, I, I, I know I'm taking on a little bit more of an insider, uh, you know, role now, but you're the deputy sheriff or something. I don't know. Whatever. Sure. Um, so, but this is, um, ombudsman like stuff. So I, I've passed on a bunch of stories about, um, stuff that meta has been announcing all around oh. its metaverse stuff. Sure. And I'm asking for feedback because I passed on it because my thinking is, that no one's really using it. Um, like I like to do stories about when you know when when products have a new feature or things like that. I try to think. Well, is anybody in the audience using this? That's why I've been doing a lot of um, you know with these developer tools things lately. I'm I'm very conscious of like who who's in the audience. And my thesis is is that as much as, and believe me, behind the scenes, Meta is pushing us hard to cover all of these stories, but. It's like wait, wait, wait. when you say that, what behind the scenes? It's like talking to you specifically or the press? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you see sort of in the 
in the PR circles and things like that of the stuff that that they they're pushing and that they and, and, and you see the headlines go you know yeah. from the yeah. Verge to TechCrunch or whatever. Um, the the like the things that that I passed on were um, there's a new avatars store where you can buy digital clothes for your avatars. Oh, which I saw that super cringe. Yep. A sounds boring and B, but who's doing that? Like, cause there's that one meta meta, um, thing. I, I can't even remember the name of it, but like the, is there big hangout sort of app inside, um, Oculus? I'm yeah. still calling it Oculus. Um, <laughs> right. and so it, unless you're in there, you don't get to do this. Horizons. Horizons. Or Horizons. The work, yes. The workplace one. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. Um, what was the other thing? I can't, e- I can't even remember, but it was something equally boring. Um, and like they, I don't know, they rebranded Facebook Pay to Meta Pay, and they were trying to push that a lot. They, you know, they want you to do it when they trot Zuckerberg out to be the one to do the post, or like is offered for interviews and things like that. And right. so, like the the Meta Pay thing is he his thing was, oh, this is going to be the wallet for the metaverse and stuff. But again, for whom and when? <laughs> you know, if I thought that there were millions of people that could use a wallet for the metaverse right now, then maybe I'd talk about it. So I'm just curious, am I, do you think my instincts are off on that in terms of like passing on these stories? Do you think that my instinct is right? That maybe it's too boring. And also there's not enough people using this sort of stuff to care yet. Well, let's start with a a slightly different angle to this question. And then we'll get back to this because I actually think like the, the meta stuff is interesting. And, or at least what you're, what you're pointing out is interesting in that the meta verse feature set that meta is pushing is exactly that it is push based as opposed to pull based. And so many of the things that, you know, Facebook previously copied in its earlier eras were pull driven kind of innovations that were largely led by, I think consumers discovering and using largely iPhones in kind of new ways, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it was Snapchat and stories or other products in this case, it's really trying to create a new market for a new set of behaviors that are not common amongst the general population, let alone the, you know, the tech press or people like that. And so I kind of want to get back to a question about the general sense for who social media or media in general is, and whether the fact that many of those readers or consumers of that content aren't in the metaverse is actually a growing generational divide where there's a younger generation that actually does spend more time or is more versed in the metaverse. And yet there aren't reporters old enough or, or maybe young enough perhaps to report on these things in a way that actually makes sense. And that that is actually more of a cataclysmic shift that's going on. But let's just, I want to start by understanding who you think your audience is for the tech meme podcast and you know, what, drives you to cover dif- different stories? Like, is it actually based on demographics of your listeners or is it based oh, yeah, on your for sure. um, set of listeners? Well, it's, it's partially the demographics that I can see, which is mostly from um, Spotify uh, because, you know, oh, interesting. Uh, you, you, you can't you get, get demographics from Apple you, podcasts. You, um, you know, some, but I haven't checked that in a while and not as much, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but all Spotify you know, gives you some mm-hmm. Spotify gives you, Everything. It's just that Spotify is less than ten percent of my audience. So again, that'll oh, so tell you something right there. Okay. Um, but you know, my my assumption is is that the audience is uh, mostly you know twenty five and above. I have probably more in the in thirties in terms of age. Um, and based on the feedback that I get from 
for, for four years now, it's a lot of, as I always say, devs in the trenches, but people working either at, you know, big tech companies or, or startups or, or, or what have you. So it, it, it's, 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 it's more of a, yeah, it's not, it's not a normie audience very much at all. Um, but then at the same time, I try to think like, you know, I don't know how many people use Snapchat, right? But it, like I covered that recently because it's enough, it's a big enough market. It's a, you know, they have, there's Archie, um, a hundred million users or more, you know, like it's, that, I'm not really answering your question, but like, let's, in my mind, I'm thinking. Well, yeah, um, like I think like, I'm trying to think about like that, the, the salience of the different stories that you choose to pluck from the headline, headlines of, of tech meme to share with this and distribute with this audience, right? Because yeah. what I'm thinking about are, are the blind spots that are not being covered, but that actually affect a lot of people. And yeah. the story about meta to me is sort of perfectly uh, sort of juxtaposed in this kind of no, like no person's land um, in the middle. And the reason why I'm thinking about that is because there was a story today about how it appears that uh, Zuckerberg has really, I think, reduced the staff that was focused on elections from 300 yeah. to something like 60. And that all of his attention is focused on the metaverse and creating this new computing platform and paradigm, which he wants to own and possess. And it's really hard to get a sense for whether anybody, I don't want to say anybody, but whether there's sufficient enthusiasm about his, his level of enthusiasm in that, given the import that, of course, like, you know, the election meddling and all this stuff that's still kind of unraveling that happened all the way back in 2016, like he's kind of like, I'm not in that business anymore. I don't really care about fixing elections or those things. I'm going to the metaverse and that's going to be a completely different place where I suppose it's good for shareholders. It's good for whatever, but I mean, it's, he's not actually solving or fixing any of the problems that led to the last generation's technology challenges. So that's sort of why I guess I'm wondering when you think about your audience, mm -hmm. it's kind of, we're still talking about some of the stuff that, that we're, and we're still trying to digest the impact that technology has had on us and is happening to us um, while people who are sort of building these things are moving off in a completely different direction. It's almost like Zuckerberg's like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the room. Like, I don't care about what you guys are talking about anymore. I'm going to go play with my, you know, in a different sandbox altogether. I mean, if, if there was a, a, an exact formula for why I go with certain things and why I don't go with certain things, I, I, I can give you that story as a specific example. I saw that this morning, and I thought, okay, is this really anything new here? We know that Zuck is all in on the on the um, metaverse idea right now, um, and it felt like th the fact that the fact that they've taken um, warm bodies away from the election integrity team is news. But it's I don't know the the elections still months away it just it didn't feel like there was enough new there and it, it felt to me like i would be saying again hey by the way zuck really wants the metaverse to happen and so i just didn't feel like that there was anything new enough to say there and and so that's just one example and and, and there's nothing scientific about it i just was like eh. but you know on a different no, I, day i, I might have right so i mean yeah, like yeah. obviously you're acting as a filter for your audience and what your audience cares about and so i agree with you that the meta stuff or the like Meta's metaverse stuff is a big kind of metaverse, if you will. Uh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, wait, so, so you've stolen that, so now I can't ever use it as a joke <laughs> in the show. So. Well, in any case, the, like it, it does raise this question as to whether or not like 
like Facebook used to be so central to so many conversations. And now, as you said, like Facebook seems to be trying to push stories into the media to cover the metaverse. And again, people are just kind of like, meh. Like why, like, why is this like this, the store to buy avatar clothes? It's sort of like, okay, like Roblox has that. And, um, a lot of these other platforms have those types of in-app purchases, but one, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of people making money there. Or if people are selling virtual clothes, you know, for their bitmojis and, and stuff like that, it's not happening at a level where enough people have day-to-day interactions with it, that it really kind of feels like it impacts their, their daily lives. Right. Yeah. Can I come at this in a different way? Because here's a here's a yeah, similar story, similar story that I passed on, which is we pretty much know a lot of times I pass on rumors unless I feel like they're really and, and actually tech meme generally does that, too. We, we see rumors all the time and then it's debated in the in the back channels among the editors. Like, is that a reliable rumor monger or not? You know, so generally people think that we know what the next um sort of headset from um, Meta will be the Quest 2 successor, which is internally called Project Cambria. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in this because, again, I do have a, a Quest 2, and I'm, I'm trying to uh, get enthusiasm for VR, although it still isn't taking for me. But, like, for example, we know that um, it's going to have 16 cameras, 10 on the headset and 3 on each of the controllers, so having... Cameras on the controllers is new. Um, it's going to lean heavily into AR, just like we think that Apple's sort of thing is going to be AR and VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and we, we've seen, and that's another thing that I passed on. I think it was like last weekend or last week that um, Zuck did a demo with sort of new goggles on. Right, um, right. And I passed on that too, but I find, you know, I'm interested in that. And I'm also interested in this because it's apparently going to launch in the second half of 2022. So it's, it's coming and it's going to be very expensive. Like the rumors are mm-hmm. it might cost $800 on the low end, if not more, like up to $1,200. Wow. So that's interesting to me in terms of like, again, boy, how much patience is Zuck asking investors to have? But then at the same time, uh, he really does need, you know, the, the hardware and, and stuff and the technology to be more of a wow factor. So that's an example of one that I was personally interested in, but again, based on the feedback I've gotten from the audience, not a lot of people have, uh, you know, Quest Twos and stuff. So I, I passed on that for now. But obviously, when they announce Project Cambria, I'll, I'll for sure cover that. Is there a level of interest that you found from your audience in, in you know, either VR or the metaverse or augmented reality in general? Like, are those stories ones that really resonate? It, it is. It's low. Okay, and yeah. and, and I, if you're asking, see, I'm not I'm not operating in a very matrix or uh, uh, metrics driven thing. Like mm-hmm. I I can't point to I don't have have polls. I can't point to generally every every episode gets downloaded equally, so I can't say, oh boy, right. you know, no one cared about that one. But you know, we really um, we talked about this before. We should do like a listener like survey just to get a sense for other topics, yeah. maybe you know that, that yeah. haven't yeah. been covered or something. I, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't even know what tech meme does. Uh, if they do any like user like surveys or I'm sure their traffic is fine. You know, their ad mm-hmm. business is probably mm-hmm. fine, but I don't know if they have any sense for their audience um, and what their audience cares about. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that either. The, uh, what I will say is then this gets into what we've talked about before too. The thing that I've gotten the most feedback on is people yelling at me, just really angry. Stop talking about 
Web3, stop talking about <laughs> NFTs, stop talking about crypto. <laughs> and so then I'll admit that sometimes I have pulled back on that. People, the people that are angry at me don't think I have. Yeah. Um, but then my, my pushback to them is like, look, again, like, that's like telling me in 2008, I'm I'm sick of hearing about social media. Social media is dumb. Don't do stories that like it's the biggest news. There was a lot of people, you know, that yeah, Yeah. felt that way back then. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's so. But this, this, I think this raises the general topic, right? One about what people are interested in, and and two, what are the things that are going to affect people in the future? And three, what are kind of like the maybe generational gaps in coverage? And is it because of who is reporting on those things or who's spending money or who, you know, are being targeted by ads? There's a whole broader context that we're sort of on the tension line between what companies want people to start thinking about and focusing on. And I think Meta is the most obvious example of this versus what people are previously or already interested in and already familiar with and want to hear more about the things that, you know, kind of impact them on a day-to-day basis without requiring them to change too much. Um, and so the Web3 stuff, I think, is a really good example where you either, you know, kind of are, you know, red pilled into that world and you really want to go deep and you're into the NFTs and all the, the wallets and the crypto and stuff like that. Or you're like, this is the worst thing ever. It's a big grift. I never want to hear anything about it. Anything that's negative about it that, you know, makes me like reaffirms my bias. I mean, essentially, it's a type of polarization that exists in the technology landscape. And so that reification of what you already believe seems to be what the media and different you know platforms and websites are about. Um in a way that, I don't know, creates a kind of ossification, I guess, that I, I worry about. Like, so let me give you some more concrete examples. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I would be interested to hear more about, um, whether it's through TechBeam or, you know, just kind of media or, or news pr- reporting in general, you know, might be related to, um, I don't want to say like the creator economy, but platforms like uh, Etsy or deeper dives into, you know, Shopify business like sellers or into Pinterest or into some of these other platforms that are, you know, maybe like the middle class of the technology, you know, world, and that we don't really see what they're continuing to do and to innovate. We talk about the big players all the time, and it sort of just reconfirms their position and the oxygen that they take up in the room relative to all the other smaller stuff that's going on. And I think Web3 is the the vector by which it gives people an angle to talk about people who are not, you know, part of the FANG you know, kind of conglomerates, right? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll cop to Pinterest being um, a blind spot for me. Um, I, I tend to not do Pinterest stories very often. And, and so that's an example of maybe one um, yeah, so, that I should pay attention to more. Yeah. There's, there's that. And there's just like, I mean, I don't know, like there's, there are stories that are kind of about maybe obviously Instagram is part of meta, but there's a lot of culture that's being produced through, uh, you know, more visual mediums or, or even like, you know, snap that could go deeper in terms of media advertising well, and, and fashion culture. That we kind of miss. See, I would be more likely to do a TikTok story because my sense yep. is that TikTok is hotter right now. So, right, it, it, given given two equally weighted stories about new features on TikTok or Instagram, I'd be more likely to do a TikTok thing. Hey, real quick, um, Evan, yeah. uh, I saw you raise your yeah. hand earlier and you took it down. If if you want to come up, um, you're, you're welcome to come up. Um, and by the way, also Chris, if you want to, if he doesn't come up, uh, you can you can take your turn for bringing up something too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Again, if anybody does want to come up and add to the, the conversation, feel free to raise your hand at this point. Um, sorry, we missed you, uh, Evan, there. Okay, great. What's up, Evan? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. I, I just sort of was triggered by the uh, Oculus conversation as I, I've wanted VR to work for so long and I bought every VR headset back to when you could make it out of cardboard that you didn't mm. actually have to buy it. And I, I totally. just wanted it to work. I, you know, every month I, I dust it off and try it on again and I get excited for 45 minutes and, and then it just goes back in the bin when I lose interest. Is it just... What what is with the usability user experience Evan. format? Is is that is it just doomed? Or what's I almost on? I almost I almost did this as a topic to bring up today, but I have a very strong a, a recent example of this because I too you know try every three months or so. Hey, maybe I can get back into. This. So there's very recently uh, my favorite one of my favorite games is a game called um, City Skylines, and it's sort of like a modern version of SimCity. And they about a month ago released um, uh, an AR, uh, a VR version on in the Oculus Store or whatever, whatever the fuck they call it now. And so Meta I was Quest. like, okay, MetaQuest, right? MetaQuest Store or whatever. Um, and so I was super excited because I love this game, and it's like one of the f- fun things of doing modern city sim games is to be able to build a city and then drive around in it and look around <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and I lasted twenty minutes on it. Because it was making me nauseous, I was getting fatigued by wearing the headset, 
And there wasn't functionally much more that I could do. Like being able to zoom through the city with a mouse on a screen was as fun and probably more comfortable and fun. And so that's a very recent example of, again, I was like, okay, here's, here's a vector into becoming a VR addict uh, right up my alley, and it didn't work. And half of it is just that it's not comfortable <laughs> to do for a very long time. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I, I used to really get in, immersed in the, in the 3D content, you know, swimming under an ocean and looking around. But when I sit in front of my, you know, LG 65-inch OLED TV, right. it, it feels yeah. pretty, pretty, immersive it's pretty immersive and involved and amazing. So the, it, and it has none of the downsides of what you described. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just scratching my head. And what so happened what, to that story, by the way, of the millions of Oculus that were sold over Christmas? Wasn't there this, this yeah. flash uh, hype around yes. VR? I, but I think Was this, is, just this, a PR this speaks to my, my point. Like where there might just be a blind spot where there are maybe maybe it's a younger generation or a lot of people who, you know, whether they're working from home or working with colleagues or coworkers, you know, one of the things that Zuckerberg continues to push is around the notion of presence. And, you know, I don't know if you guys in your personal experiences mostly focus on your first person experience as solo journeys or if you do try to play, you know, games with other people and whether that would make the difference, it seems like that's one of the challenges, you know, whereas, you know, now if you want to like play, for example, a good example might be like heads up, which is a very simple, casual, uh, iPhone game where you can play with a group of people. You need like one iPhone and it works. Whereas to play a social, uh, metaverse game, typically you're going to have to have people with the right, you know, rigs and timing and headset and the, the coordination costs feel like it's on an order of magnitude higher. Like, have you guys had experiences with games? And is, do you think that would be the killer app if more people had these devices? Well, the, people love that, that Beat Saber. And so, like, in theory, there are these games where it's sort of half of a workout and half of a, you know, you're using your full body and, yeah. and sort of stuff. Those seem to have been the ones that have had the, the most success so far. But that's like um, one game, right? It's not like there's like a whole cadre. I mean, listen, you know? I'm with Evan and I, I try to be quiet about this and keep it in the back of my mind, but there's still in my mind a question as to whether people will ever, if this is ever a medium that people actually really want. Now, like if, if I could wear something that was the weight of normal eyeglasses, that would change a lot of things, but we're still at least a decade out from that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the the real question is just how do we get there? And you know, one of the one of the tweets that I pinned um, is actually from Twitter Business. It's sort of orthogonal, but um, the the tweet is "Practice makes progress is greater than practice makes perfect." And the reason why I thought that was kind of relevant is because at least Zuckerberg is not only betting, you know, the company and a lot of resources on getting things out there, you know, sort of publicly in front of everyone else, but. I guess the question is, how do you make progress in this realm? You know, Apple is obviously doing everything privately and secretly, whereas like Meta is putting it all out there for people to try and to experiment and is doing kind of more the the Microsoft approach to developing this new platform. Two two observations, and I feel like I've touched on this before, but number one, um, when when you are in VR, you have to do it by yourself. Now, in theory, like I've played um, ping pong and, and mini golf with my friends across the country or whatever, but I've said before, like, the kids and I will sit down and game together on the TV, but when I put the headset on Max, like I, I can't help him because I can't see. It's not right. Right, it's you can't not actually a point social things out thing. To him. Yeah, in your house to do right. Like you have to have a level um, of expertise already, right? 
And so that's puzzling to me because so much of gaming is social, but, uh, you know, they would argue that it's, that's what, you know, um, uh, uh, Fortnite and stuff is. And the second point that I would make, and I, always, I hesitate to make this point because I don't want to gross people out, but the thing that it's been the most in VR, the thing Uh-oh. that is the most impressive imagine where you're is, going. Go ahead. is porn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's not a lot of VR porn out there. And so, you know, there's that old saw that, like, porn has been the driver for mass adoption of technologies going back to, you know, the VCR and things like that. And so I'm confused, like Evan said, like, we, we assume that the, the install base for the, the Quest is, like, maybe above 10 million. There should be more VR porn out there because once you see VR porn, it's the best porn you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> So I don't know. Like I'm confused by all the ways. It's really the hand tracking that's missing with the VR porn. You really need to. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah. Anyway, it's let's let's downhill. not go too too, too but, deep but, into but this. In all, in all seriousness, just anecdotally, I know we all have our own stories. You mentioned your son. My son is 17. He actually just sold his PlayStation, but he's been a gamer on PlayStation for 10 years, and has had the VR headset. The entire decade on the PlayStation, which is an optional add-on, never used it. And I, I, I tried to understand wow. why wow. none of the other kids used it. I think even Sony discontinued the VR add-on. Well, there, there, it, there, there's, a new, there's a new one coming. Another, a new one coming that no one will use either. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Are the kids really uh, embracing this? At least I, I haven't seen it. You know, like, and I think this also like yeah. just also gets to my 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 I don't know curiosity in, in, inquisition around you know what Zuckerberg is exposed to and is seeing and the confirmation bias of being on Meta's campus and running meetings ostensibly through VR and believing that this is somehow superior and you know really drinking your own Kool Aid and like I wonder if this is going to be sort of a generational sort of you know mistake on his part where he's so surrounded by, I don't want to say sync offense, but like people that sort of reinform or like reinforce his perspective. I mean, he's, you know, with, with Cheryl gone and with, um, Shrep leaving, who is the, the CTO, uh, a lot of the sort of maybe checks on Zuckerberg's own sort of idiosyncrasies and, and preferences maybe are, are, are leaving the company such that he now sort of is just fixated on this one thing at the expense of all the rest of the business because of how constrained he feels and, and sort of hemmed in by Apple's moves um, and by Google, et cetera. So, and, and not to, it's, it's always dangerous to try to psychoanalyze these folks, but again, like, you know, you're one of the richest people in the world. Why, do, why mm-hmm. are you still doing this? If, if this is the thing that he, if he still wants to change the world in a Steve Jobs like way, aside from the fact that he also wants to have his own platform that isn't, you know, beholden to Apple or Google or whatever, like, you know, yeah, like what, what if he it, actually wins? Like, what if he's right? Like if we were just to play that out. Right. But also and, what if he's, what if he's not right? And well, the only reason we're doing this is to keep him interested and keep him coming in to the office every day. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question, you know, like of all the things that he could focus on, he clearly is, you know, bet the farm on this one when he has a lot of other bets that are still working. I mean, there's still a lot of work going on with WhatsApp, with Instagram, um, you know, messaging is a huge area. Um, I don't know how much this has to do with like, I mean, I don't even know how you get this thing to be affordable from an international perspective. Most of Facebook's business now is a global concern. And so getting these uh, high-end computing devices to the rest of the world, like the iPhone is, has been, um, I think is, is going to be a real significant challenge just culturally, like how you well, make and, this appropriate. Look, 
the I, look, how long, how many years, the, uh, almost a, a full decade of smartphones, people trying to push smartphones. Smartphones would be the next big thing. The mobile web was the next big thing. And it never was, never was, never was until one day it was. So it is one of those things where, you know, it, what we're waiting on is the perfect iteration of this idea, the perfect, perfect product. Um, where are to, the, to you know, Brian, where are the iterations? Because I've I heard, know. you know, every year were iterations. I was hoping with Oculus, you'd see like every year a, a better, faster Oculus until it was, you know, well, perfected the way the iPhone is. And what, there's been two releases. So I don't see it, how that's. In theory, we're, we're about to get there because if Apple's going to be releasing a thing, when Apple enters a market, then everybody's going to do it. You, you, you'll eventually see Google try their hand at one. Obviously, uh, Meta's going to try to keep up with whatever Apple's doing. Apple has a good track record for mainstreaming certain things. So I, on the one hand, it sounds like we're being completely negative about this, but I'm, 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 I'm straight in the middle here in terms of like feeling bullish or bearish on this because we're about to enter a period where this is going to be, at least for the next few years, what a lot of the players are going to try to hit at. And so there's going to be a lot of you know, arrows behind the, this idea and it could be something that it just needs like, um, you know, a, a tipping point, or it could be a thing like, look, all, everybody tried to get us into 3d TVs for four or five years and then no one wanted it and it went away, you know? So who knows? So, okay. Like, uh, I, I think, I think we've got this one covered. One thing that I do want to talk about, um, is another kind of adjacent technology realm, which I, I will admit that I was an early advocate for, um, which is voice computing. And it feels like, I don't want to say that that kind of direction has run its course, but there are some interesting things that are happening in that realm that I don't want to say are, are, you know, indicative or providing kind of a, I don't know, maybe sort of a sense of vector in terms of the direction of where this stuff is going to go. But two things I think that are maybe actually three things that are worth potpourriing. And then, you know, I'm, I'm curious to get your take, Brian, you know, one is that, um, and I was hoping to get front of the show, uh, Brett Kinsella on to talk about uh, Google's kind of retiring of third-party voice actions in the assistant platform. Um, it feels like, you know, ever since I got involved with conversational commerce and voice computing, you know, in the bot era around 2016, this was going to be, at least to me, sort of a very clear way to deploy artificial intelligence in a way that would make computing more accessible to more people, because rather than having to fiddle with icons and apps and all these sort of visual metaphors to try to organize a digital space, you could simply talk to your computer and it would do the thing that you ostensibly wanted it to do. And there are many, many reasons for which that experience kind of never really reached its full potential, which you could argue is kind of happening with a lot of consumer-oriented AI experiences, like the, the, the breadth and complexity of the way that we, I don't know, kind of create tasks to be done is far more specific and, and um, divergent than you might've hoped or expected. I mean, your, your self-driving car bet, for example, is a good example of how we just haven't really made as significant a progress as we thought we might have be because of the billions and billions of edge cases. Like you're just never going to solve it. So one is that, right? So Google moving away from third-party voice actions. The so is, is, is your over, overarching, are you saying that you're now sort of turning bearish on the idea of voice as, an, as a computing input, at least for the near term? I, I'm reflecting on what you guys both said, which is that the 3D space and 3D, you know, graphics, et cetera, as a kind of dedicated computing experience is something that has been promised for a very, very long time. And it may be well the case that we are never going to get to a place where it is the mainstream dominant form of computing, simply because whether it's the job to be done or the form factor or the things that it doesn't really do well, 
makes it limited in its actual usefulness. It's not that the technology hasn't improved or hasn't evolved or isn't useful in very specific domains. It is that it is not a generic computing paradigm the way that a two-dimensional screen with a mouse and a keyboard, which was invented in the late 40s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like product market fit happened half a century ago. Like we have not gotten there with goggle-based you know, computing environments that make sense for the common user. So voice computing, I think, is something that is increasingly accessible and used in some contexts, but it is, it is not the generic- But it hasn't taken over. Purpose, exactly, that you'd expect- you know, a lot of the early proponents, again, including myself, would have thought it would have um, turned into, even though it's somewhat more accessible. I always like to joke that, uh, you know, we're talking about VR and and everybody's trying to make um, uh, Snow Crash happen. But also the canonical example is anything that was on Star Trek, eventually nerds are going to try to make. And and so, right, you think that the, 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 the end evolutionary step of computer interaction is, well, I guess it's, it's plugging into your brain, but is, you know, um, Captain Picard saying, computer, do this or do that. And right. yet I'd point out that even, even in the 24th century or 23rd century or whatever, uh, Worf was still back there with that weird sort of touchscreen uh, sort of like input sort of thing. So, I, you know, it, I think that one of the problems is, is that in the quest for the next big thing, um, you know, Benedict Evans is a great writer on this all the time, is yeah. people assume that the, the next big thing will take over everything. But mm-hmm. like Steve Jobs said, there are cars and there are trucks, and it just takes a while to shake out. And there's, there's, I don't think there's anything that's ever going to take over. The, maja- the vast majority of computing is done on smartphones now, and yet um, they're still laptops and desktops and, and whatnot. Yeah, and, and, and differentiate between uh, enterprise and business use cases and the consumer. A lot of your, what you're describing, even VR, there are tons of interesting and real business use cases and training yep. and uh, uh, other kinds of learning that companies are very successful in now. And with voice and NLP, you can't call a call center, you know, contact center without a bot of some kind these no, days. Exactly, right? And in some ways, it, so. that yeah, was the yeah. original, um, you know, uh, product market fit. And a lot of people, you know, I will say, um, told me, you know, back in the early days of, of bots and, and voice assistants that customer service was going to be the place where this was largely deployed um, and successful. And I just felt that it was so boring and uninteresting relative to what, you know, you could do with kind of a, a personal voice assistant that, you know, knew things about you. And I mean, I, I started a whole, you know, company based on this concept. Um, and so, and it turns out that it was right from the beginning. It's almost like, I mean, maybe, maybe the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that a lot of these technologies sort of found their product market fit a long, long time ago. And that new and divergent, um, product opportunities kind of comes along generationally. And that if you are able to be like a really good, I don't know, the metaphor that I'm imagining is a surfer kind of riding the wave of generational change and shift that it creates new opportunities because there has been a reset in expectations and norms. So Snapchat is a really good example where there was a move away from the public sharing on social networks and social media of kind of Web 2.0 to more private directed sharing where the camera became a means of communication as opposed to a means of just capturing and expressing. Um, That was a big shift. Web 3 and Web 2 is interesting. I'm sorry. Web 3 is interesting because it changed it. Like if you want to get ahead today and building a startup it's really, really hard to imagine how you're going to do that unless you change the underlying paradigm um, and sort of start over. And so Web3 kind of provides that by changing the nature of the economic 
competition that's that's occurring. Um, so when it, when it, again coming back to voice computing, the the shift away from third party voice actions um, because discovery was just too hard and promotion was too hard um, is interesting. And then I think like what uh, Amazon showed today, and I just I, I pinned the tweet um, uh, about using their voice assistant, which I won't say because I have one in the room yeah, um, yeah. to imitate your grandmother's voice, your, your, your deceased right. grandmother's voice, you know, to read a story is an example of AI being used in this consumer domain that I think is interesting and also creepy and also probably the subject of some black mirror episode, but is an example of how another generation is going to come up and use that to synthesize personalities. people. Mm-hmm. I did, I did the story also about um, in real time, changing somebody's accent um, in right. real time, we already have real time translation. Google has demoed that with um, various uh, AR things, like so that it, in real time, like that is from Star Trek, the Universal Translator, where in real time uh, someone can be talking and you can hear your native language theoretically coming. Out. But I had Chris in my notes, almost the inverse of what you're saying. Hmm. Are we approaching an AI tipping point? Are we reaching right. the point now where? This stuff is becoming mainstreamed, like the Dolly stuff that we talked about last week and things like that. So, um, but you just brought Chris up, and and it looks it's it, based on his bio. It looked like he might have. Yeah, Chris Hopps. Do you want to do you want to introduce yourself and just uh, and, and share your thoughts? Yeah, um, I can't stay long because I got an interview in a little bit. But um, I uh, I basically have worked at the intersection of like middleware systems integration, feature set building eye tracking, gestures, emotion detection, all of those kinds of things. Is that a bigger or smaller company or? Smaller. And Mm -hmm. I'm based in your area, by the way. I'm in Oakland too. Oh, right on. Um, And and also like on the other side of like, it's confusing when you're talking to larger companies because they're like, how do you do all of that? But um, it's a small like R&D lab studio called FS Studios who I've been working with for the last six years. Cool. And um, and they're amazing, um, and they basically are just applying gamification to enterprise B two B. So, you know, like Evan was talking about, you know, the use case portion is really to differentiate it. It's, it's really important, but there's a lot of intersection between game engines and like digital twins and perception and ray tracing and all of those kinds of things that apply to like everything which is hard for different industry people to understand whether i'm talking to an accenture person or a deloitte person or i'm talking to somebody that does field service for example like uh i think of like carry r is an example that does that it's owned by xerox and they you know are really good at selling the value versus like discussing the uh the underlying technology of camera vision and feature sets and machine learning and the data that's entered into it, you know, et cetera. I um, am uh, probably, um, well, how can I say this? I'm really interested in um, seeing use cases where people don't wait for permission to build it and they just go out and build it. Cause it seems like when you're selling this stuff and I'm on the sales side, if you can't tell when you're selling this, People don't care what kind of technology you do. They only care about what they need. And one thing, and then B, they may not know what they need, but they do want to remain competitive. And um, so I'm, I, I kind of wish like there was an organization that focused more on sales and like partnerships because you've got VRARA, you've got AWE, you've got AIXR, and digital Sorry, twin and all that kind of stuff. 
Can you can you unpack some of those acronyms? I'm sorry. Can you can unpack I turn some my of those? fan off? <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> I'm burning up in my apartment talking to you. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I have I have my fan off too, and I'm hot. So yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I I I. You know, it was more Can about the, the acronyms. Yeah, yeah, you're good. It's more like the acronyms. Just like, I don't actually know what those things are. So VRARA is the Virtual Reality Augmented Reality Association. It's the VRARA.com. Got it. And it's headed by a guy named Chris Colo. And uh, then there's AWE, which is Augmented World Expo or Augmented World Night. If you look up AWE Night on Google, you can see... Tons of sessions of people talking about different use cases across the board. And um, we just had AWE 2022, which had over 250 exhibitors. Well, when I say we, I mean I attended. Ori Inbar is the guy who heads it. And it was also headed up by uh, you know Tom Emmerich, who's uh, a friend of mine, used to be a part of that. Now he's focused on 8th Wall, which does SLAM and WebAR. Um, which is making a lot of these types of applications uh, more accessible because there's nothing to download. So one of the things, okay, so so I think what I'm what I'm hearing you say, you know, is one uh, kind of allowing for permissionless innovation and letting people just like you know start to build stuff and do stuff. And obviously, one of the challenges is getting the hardware in the hands of people, um, like speci- specifically developers, right? So they can go off and create interesting experiences. Then you have a second order problem, which is once those things have actually been built and developed getting those kind of experiential, you know, delivery systems into the hands of regular consumers such that then they can actually consume those products that have been built by those developers. And we kind of find ourselves in this, like, if you think one of the things that used to be, I think a principle or premise behind a lot of the computing innovation that was occurring was one to lower the cost, you know, per, per megabyte, like, you know, to, to improve power obviously is still an issue. Um, but you could have fairly, generic computers and be able to contribute, let's say, or publish to the web. Or for example, you got a really old shitty phone and still tweet. And so more and more, we've been building up the kind of necessary equipment that you need to run these things. I mean, a lot of what Apple's been doing with their their processors lately is, you know, with M2 and, and so on, is to increase their ability to run AI efficiently, power efficiently on chip so that more of these experiences are available to consumers in a broader, you know, sense. I mean, this is this is, I think, one of the things that that is fascinating about this moment. So that sounds like part of it. Um, and and you're you're it sounds like you're set, you're calling for maybe more trade groups or trade organizations to be able to promote more of these use cases to more. Well, I'm saying folks. that there needs to be, and I'm considering on how to do this myself personally, but there needs to be a group around how do you tell a story, and um, because a lot of people just want to stick the key in the car and go. And that's what's needed, I think, desperately on the consumer side of things. Because as soon as you start talking about technology, this and that, people's eyeballs roll when you're in a consumer space. I mean, in terms of boredom? Um, in terms of, like, they don't, pardon my French, they don't give a shit how the technology works. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, on the other side of things, you know, like, there are places like Qualcomm Spaces that have just opened up. And I think that's been pretty warmly received. I mean, they've got, uh, for enterprise side of things, they've got, uh, you know, Ross and Unity uh, platform for robotics. They've got uh, VR gaming. Uh, You know, this is multiplayer. And it was like a lot of this was invented or 
you know, brought about so developers would have a, um, an open platform to like submit their work. And that's Got what it. they're encouraging. Um, as far as like getting it into the hands of regular consumers, I mean, the quest device is, you know, they're selling it for 300 bucks, but it costs more to make it right. Yeah. So like okay. Facebook is losing a lot of money there. Uh, or, or, or trying to spin it up and, and get things off the ground. But okay. So I think we've, we've gone deep on the VR thing again, Chris, thank you for, for coming up and sharing your thoughts as well as Evan. Um, I want to make sure that we get at least one more topic in uh, before we close Brian. Uh, I got two more that I made notes of. This is another example of, of something that I passed on, but um, rumor, like I don't talk a lot about Kindle because again, I'm trying to make a judgment call. Do, are mm. people excited about new Kindle things? But uh, let's see if this pans out. The rumors are that we might get the first interesting new Kindle in a while because remember how I told you I got that uh, remarkable tablet yes, that I used yes. to, to well, take notes on? Explain a little bit about that because the remarkable is, as you, well, as the name implies, it is mm. remarkable in a way that actually is quite delightful. It's basically um, a, a, a thinner Kindle and larger um, it's the size of a, of a regular piece of paper, and it's e-ink, and it's got a pen, and I take all my notes on it. And I send Chris, when, when Chris and I talk about certain True. stories, yeah. like I, I send PDFs. Chris mm-hmm. little PDFs from uh, where I've marked up. I've highlighted things. I write notes in the margin or whatever. So, um, you know, I haven't been able to do a story on this yet because it's all rumors, but um, the rumors are that the next Kindle that we might get uh, could be sort of like a remarkable, like the ability to take notes on it using some form of stylus. Um, so that would be interesting. That would make the Kindle interesting. Well, to me so again. okay, is the re- like one of the reasons why this could be interesting? And again, whether it's jobs to be done framework or thinking about Amazon's lack of a real killer kind of mobile device. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mm-hmm. wonder if that is their their way to stay relevant um, and to continue to kind of support their broader ecosystem. Um, obviously Zuckerberg is looking for, you know, their equivalent of a phone in the VR space. If Amazon is thinking that the Kindle, which I think is, you know, still a hugely popular device. And again, it's a very good example of a device like, like, like we were talking about before cars and trucks, you know, one of Steve jobs, great quotes is about how computing is or the application and the design of certain computing devices is a matter of emphasis. And so what the Kindle emphasizes is the experience of reading portability, uh, you know, the, ability to use it in direct sunlight. Um, and if it adds in some of these more interactive elements, you know, writing notes and things like that, that expands its capabilities in a way that you would, you might typically get like a Microsoft device, like a, a tablet, you know, with a notepad or the Apple pencil for, um, and so this might be, you know, one of Amazon's, you know, kind of next efforts to expand its right, or computing platform. My theory is, is that the Kindle lineup does exactly what they want it to do. You know, it, it's another thing where, like, why haven't I talked about Kindle over the last few years? Because basically, they iterate every year, but it's like, you know, yeah, more backlighting minor. or like, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, 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 better DPI, you know, be- better... Or different color uh, hues. Sharper, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, uh, despite the fact that, again, what device do I use every day more than the Kindle? Basically, only my, my, my smartphone, I suppose. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I don't know if, if that comes to pass, I'll, I'll definitely cover it. But related to that, um, I was, this is sort of you and I talking shop on the air, but, um, you heard me say earlier this week, and I've been hinting around about this for a while that I've been hearing things that again, that, that now that Andy Jassy has taken over from, uh, Bezos, that, um, 
they've been pulling back on a lot of things. Like I've seen people say yeah, that, right. uh, boy, they're really cleaning up some. Someone even made the analogy that the last few years of the Bezos reign might be looked back on like the last few years of GE under Jack Welsh. Like, oh, you wow. know. Mm-hmm. Like a real legend of his time, but you know he stayed a little too long, and <laughs> the mess that he left, you know, GE still is not the GE it was, or whatever. Um, so, you know, we should reach out to Jason Del Rey, um, who I think covers Amazon yeah. better than anybody. Um, get him to come on and what I have in my notes: Amazon at an inflection point? Question mark. Um, so, yeah, uh, maybe I, that's know, it's, it's, it, it is interesting, right? Because we are sort of living through a series of sort of founder exits, if you will, um, mm, or, mm-hmm. or stepping aside. Right. I mean, I don't know the last time that we heard from Larry Page or Sergey Brin, you know, oh, they're, they're, they're gone. <laughs> they I, long I, gone. That is my point. They exited, you know, quite I, I, like sort of really out the back door, you know, the party was still going and like, you know, it went until 3am and they left at like at 11pm and they were in bed and, and sleeping. Right. Cheryl Sandberg obviously has also left. And so that tag team duo over at Facebook meta is over. Um, uh, Amazon Bezos is gone. Yeah. yeah. Bezos is gone. Um, you know, Google and Microsoft are probably the ones that have the, the, the leaders that are going to stick around the longest. And they also made those changes earlier, um, in a way that I think is, is interesting and important. Um, so there's, there's a question kind of about maybe ascendant leaders, you know, from other platforms and companies and where they might come from. I think it's interesting. For example, I actually spend quite a bit of attention, just sort of paying attention to what Adam Aseri is doing over at, at Instagram. Um, you know, and what he's been trying to do to take on TikTok. And, you know, he's kind of one of those execs that strangely enough is, you know, one uses the product, you know, whereas Parag from Twitter doesn't really use the product, at least not as much as Elon Musk. Um, and you kind of wonder like how they're going to sort of continue their reign in those those worlds. And so this Amazon thing is super interesting. I mean, in, in some ways, what Bezos built and did, and then coming up through the pandemic and it's sort of having this amazing supply network built out sort of met that moment perfectly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yet through that large S uh, and, and this seems to occur, this is also like Facebook's challenge. It's almost like when you do turn into like the fat cats, then you don't have the discipline to kind of build for, you know, the, the moment in a very disciplined, concise, like way, the nature or of you your have- organization changes and you, just spread your money around, you know, like, uh, yeah, Yahoo had their development studios and Google had theirs. And, you know, those moonshots and the big bets, like many of them didn't really pan out relative to their first, you know, like product sets. So it does raise this question about what Amazon is going to do and what they're going to pull back and how that's going to look in the future. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. 
When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com/ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's k-o-l-i-d-e.com/ride. Hey, um, this is neither here nor there, but again, I feel like I'm just pulling out my notebook and like, <laughs> I, I, like I got I'm trying one, more, a, one more for you, but go for it. I'm trying a stand-up set. Yeah, this is real quick because you're, you're not going to yeah. have an answer for it. But do you find it interesting that there's no face of TikTok? Um, yes. Um, and the question, I suppose, is whether one that is intentional or two, yeah, if yeah. it's cultural. Um, oh, yeah, probably both. Yeah, yeah, and cultural, I, think- I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Yeah, I because I actually I listened to a bunch of reporting um, about TikTok and about its business model, or roughly you know speaking, and um, about you know its founder and its founder you know is um, I don't, I don't want to like speak incorrectly, but I, I believe he's you know sort of Chinese national and like has connections to that world, and so ByteDance has a lot more exposure to the Chinese you know government and and economy um, than a lot of other tech startups, um, you know, or, or not even tech startups anymore, just tech companies. And so that makes it harder, I think, to, to get access. And they probably don't have the same type of relationships with the mess, with the press and the media that other, you know, more conventional US-based tech companies do. And so I like, I, it's, it's such a strange story and it's so hard, I think, to wrap our minds around, um, how different that, that company and its background is. I mean, I don't really mm-hmm. have any friends that I know of actually that work at TikTok. Um, and yet I've well, got a lot it, of other folks who, who work at other big tech companies, you know? There's that, but then also, like, it's, it was such an amazing playbook. And I, I think that the Acquired Boys podcast might have done a couple of things on this. But, like, the fact that they, they've taken over and they ran an obvious playbook, the way that they came to market, the way they grew, <laughs> buying ads on other people's platforms and yeah. things like that. And the, because, you know, there's that famous Eugene Way um, piece about, like, how the algorithm was different and stuff like that's been, that has been sliced and diced. But if this was a Western company, you'd have had a billion magazine cover pieces about the genius strategy behind TikTok. And the the lack of that come up and, you know, where there is sort of like, you know, founder genius, you know, sprayed all over the magazines or whatever, because the press, you know, department, you know, that's their job, right? Means that we don't have the same, I don't like name recognition for that founder. And so you can't even sort of ask questions and be like, where is, you know, the founder, what is the founder doing? You're like, I don't even know who that person is. Um, And so that creates a different like ambiguity and because it's so big and so powerful in a way that we don't understand because there's not enough reporting about what it is and how it works and, and it's not public means that 
it's it's this real crazy Trojan horse that uses AI uh, to to a degree that I don't. Well, I mean, a lot of other companies do, but that just doesn't have the same level of scrutiny that other platforms have. Um, and every now and then, there's sort of something that breaks through. You know, there's something about you know privacy or teens or you know things like that, but not to the level of bringing the founder into Congress, you know, and testifying. You know, for example, or Senate, I should say, the Senate hearings. Um, so, anyways, it, it really good, you know, call out and point. Um, it is so powerful and so important, and yet it just it's we don't have enough coverage of it. Okay, so the last thing that I want to bring up um, a little more. Um, self-congratulatory, I suppose. But, you know, one of the things that I like, I like to do is just sort of like take apart apps and try to understand what they're doing and what they're up to. And one of the apps that I like to focus on the most is Spotify because I'm just a huge Spotify user. Um, I've been there from the very, very beginning before it was even launched in the U S um, I somehow secretly got an account. And anyways, like I just, I find what they're doing to be interesting um, because they are one of the independent, you know, voices out there in the world that, obviously are trying to figure out like how to, how to they're, they're controversial in their own right. And yet they still do some really interesting things. And one of the things that I discovered recently is that there's this new community tab that is available. And I will, I will tell you my secret um, because uh, Sarah Perez from uh, TechCrunch published it um, that if you type, if you go into, to, let's say you have the latest version of the Spotify app and you go into Safari on iOS and you type in all lowercase Spotify colon community, no spaces that will open up this community tab. And you can see if you happen to have connected your Facebook account some time ago, what your friends are listening to as well as, and this is actually a very key important one, any playlists that have been updated recently. Uh, and that is actually like a really cool feature because one of the, the real big benefits and values of Spotify are the shared playlists and people and brands and companies and all sorts of different individuals publish these playlists and they're amazing. It's, it's where and how Spotify trains its algorithm and presents you with personalized recommendations like Discover Weekly and things like that. Um, the reason why I think this is also interesting is because it is a layer of social discovery that up until now, Spotify, I think, has largely stayed away from. I mean, yes, there is the, the sort of Facebook thing, but it hasn't been touched in a very, very long time. But uh, there is a new person in, with a new role at Spotify that I um, discovered, I think, by listening to their um, – they do sort of an investor day, and this person's work was discussed. And this person is their head of uh, freemium or something. Like, like that's even a thing, but they're the person who is in charge of their freemium subscriptions is the person, of course, who drives a lot of revenue because they get the person, get people onto the platform to then convert. And so social discovery and social collaboration with joint listening sessions and things like that are going to be a very, very important way for Spotify to continue to continue to grow in an economic fashion where they don't have to necessarily, you know, pay for or buy ads um, that are probably decreasingly effective given all the changes to, you know, app tra tracking, transparency, et cetera. Um, and this also tees up other types of social discovery for podcasts or for audiobooks, which are coming soon. And for another feature, which was just announced today, live concerts and events. So this is a case where you follow a certain set of artists, and now you'll be notified when concerts are coming to town that are around you and related to acts that you follow. Um, and I, I don't know, but I have a hunch that Spotify may launch their own ticketing brand at some point where they mm. will sell merch and tickets, um, essentially to take on Ticketmaster. So that's my, that's my big thought. 
Um, by the way, I'm glad you did that because those are two stories that, again, I passed on. Oh, <laughs> and you it, passed on my story. <laughs> I know. I, if I, I didn't read close enough to, to, to discover that you were behind it, um, it, it, it felt like, well, oh. Well, that's good. That means that you're not biased in your, your presentation. That's true, because I would have done it if I had known. But it's also, now that you explained it to me, like I, I looked at it, you know, skimmed it and was like, oh, more sharing stuff. But I see how it's, it's more, it's, it's a deeper integration. And obviously, if they get into ticketing, like that, that would be, you know, something that I would 100% have done uh, or will do if they do that. You remember uh, Last FM and Scrobling? I still, yeah. I still have an account there. I still, I mean, I still, yeah. as far as I know, syndicate my listens there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Maybe I still have an account there too somewhere, but uh, yeah, that, yeah. Um, they own, they're owned by CBS, I think. Right. I mean, they're sort of like the, um, what is, what is yeah. the, the company that watches TV or like sees what people watch it? Nielsen. 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 Mm-hmm. I feel like last FM is sort of like the Nielsen of, of music. Yeah, possibly. Um, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you did that because uh, you're right to, if I had dug deeper, there, there is, there's uh, more interest, interesting wrinkles to that than, than I, if you want to check out the new, the new concerts tab, by the way, you can go to open.spotify.com slash concerts. And that's where you'll be able to see this, this new feature. It's, it's pretty interesting actually to take a look at. Well, thank you, Chris, for the, you're essentially picking up the, uh, the, the, the mistakes. Like you're going through my, my trash bin and, and unfolding <laughs> like all you, the how did you miss pieces this? of paper. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, one last thing. Uh, this is related back to my, you know, getting on, setting up my Mac Studio, and this is the computer for my next decade. Um, what, what cloud storage provider is your go-to? You're a, you're a Dropbox person, aren't you? I am, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got, you know, stuff and drive. Um, you know, and I have iCloud now, so actually all of them. Um, yeah, actually, so, okay, m- the, the thing that I was going to tell you is I feel like I have made the decision to go all in on um, Microsoft, uh, is it OneDrive? No, no. Yes. what? Yes, you're going to okay. be getting links. When I send oh, you files, you're going to be oh getting... Oh, my God. Well, because... Explain yourself. I still, well, okay, two things. I still mm. run my other business on a Windows laptop, that, um, you know, the OneDrive integration is there, like, you know, it, it automatically backs up your, your desktop and things like that. Um, and so I get that free terabyte with my Office mm. 365. I see. I, you know, I've always used um, uh, uh, iCloud, you know, the, the one terabyte that iCloud. Yeah. No, I, have two, I pay for two terabytes, actually, mm. um, to sync folders and things like that. But I'm also moving over to OneNote and then in preparation for try I'm in preparation for when I buy a, the low end MacBook air where everything's going to be synced together. I've decided yeah. to go with the Microsoft ecosystem because Chris, again, I'm trying to future proof and who do I feel like I can trust to still have this product t- uh, wow. 20 years from now is yeah. Microsoft, yeah. right? Yeah. So that, that well, you don't think uh, you, you think that Google would actually like get rid of Drive, or they'll just like charge an enormous amount or something. Well, as you know, I am skeptical. <laughs> I know he's just like and, waiting for like yeah, Google like raise the rates. And or even something. and even you know, uh, Apple. I don't know. You know, things like like that, that Apple. Like I've always thought Apple should go all in on just you know gobs of free storage as a sort of totally. lock in. Especially for um, photos. I mean, that, so, that, that right, is one right. of Google's big drivers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they've never taken that seriously is like, well, I can't trust Apple to like, 
You know, if I'm going to, you know, try to future proof for 20 years and, and Dropbox again, like, look, I love Dropbox. I've used them since the day they showed up on, on TechCrunch when Mike Arrington first told me about uh, them all those years ago. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I don't want to, in the same way that like, um, I extricated all of my book notes from, um, Evernote because I can't yep. depend that Evernote will be, I, you know, Dropbox is a company in good That's standing, fair. seems healthy right now, but you know, uh, I want to future proof. So. That's why I, I went with uh, wow. Microsoft. You know, it's, it's funny. I do not have a relationship. Well, I mean, implicitly, I think if you touch a computer, you have a relationship with Microsoft, but I basically do not have a relationship with Microsoft. I do not rely on any of their products. Um, you know, anytime someone sends me a Word doc, you know, I sort of impishly open it in like pages and it, you know, messes up formatting, but I just like, I can't bring myself to like install any Microsoft products. I just, I still well, have that. I mean, we talked about it last time, you know, like my whole Firefox thing, you know, like it's just- well, I still. I should point out that the other reason is is that I write the show every day on Word and then bring it up on Word on my phone when I go in mm. to record. So then again, that's essentially I've been using OneDrive all this time. Hey, this is a blind spot for me, you know, and I recognize yeah. it, you know, just oh, like we were talking actually, about at the beginning of the show. You reminded me of the, the point that I wanted to make is what I didn't realize, and again, this is me being naive, but maybe you didn't know this either. You know how like your iCloud is sort of like a native sort of it's it's it feels like it's integrated completely into your OS yeah, file system, system. Yeah. yes and how Dropbox has had that all these years and that's why it feels so easy to yes. use because it's just okay so apparently that's table stakes now because um, OneDrive does the same thing yes so um, this is this is also yeah. it's been a big problem um, but there like behind the scenes what it seems to be is that one. Uh, Apple wants people to move away from kernel extensions, which essentially require the like the moderation, moderation, modification of the underlying, um, you know, operating system and how it functions to do what it does. And obviously, that's a huge security risk. And if people are installing products, let's say like Dropbox, that modify the kernel, um, that can lead to a lot of bad things down the road. Whether it's you know Dropbox's fault or someone else's, it just opens up vulnerabilities. Is and that, so, is that what also like Zoom does and kind of people? Uh, edit them for that. Yeah. So like, similar, anyways, similar. Okay, yeah. that tactic, you know, they've been essentially hardening the kernel and making it harder for people to write extensions at that level and, and creating more APIs to support the same kind of end, end case, but in a way that's more secure. And so they've been opening up more, whether they're, they're iCloud or they're, I think it's like an NTFS, which is a, a file system extension so that, um, Mac OS can interact with those cloud hosting providers in a more native friendly way. And so I know Google drive um, now has something that does this and they had something before, but it was sort of this weird sync down, like, you know, online, offline thing, Dropbox um, there. I still get lots of warnings um, because Dropbox clearly is still rewriting some of their systems and platforms, but OneDrive probably took the um, what's it called sort of like the, the compliant way of integrating mm-hmm. um, into the OS, because I think, Apple just realizes that they need to work with all these providers in a way that's both secure and also sensible when it comes to how people store and share stuff. Yeah, I was I was just delighted that my OneDrive it it just fits into my workflow because it's just another folder that yep. that lives where I want it to live. But so now but, now the assumption is you just have like lots of those different places out there, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one last thing, and you're mm-hmm. gonna love this mm-hmm. <laughs> because of what you were just talking about. So um, I, I was thinking over my ads, right? So that like, cause I'm going to go to Michigan for the fourth and like, so yeah. I wanted to make sure that I had all of the ads that I needed. When I, when I save the ad name, like I save it as like, um, you know, uh, 
athletic greens, Joel the date. What your, what your right. ad name looks like. Uh-huh. And, but then I also put the, um, the sort of URL for, um, you know, for the, for the show notes. Right. So it's like, you know, mm. this one is athletic greens forward slash ride. This one is whatever forward slash tech meme or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when I tried to sync it on OneDrive, oh, no. uh, it wouldn't do it because of the forward uh-huh. slash. Yep. Which is of course a very <laughs> special thing in the windows world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. That's, uh, and, and I, I hadn't thought, of that as a thing since I've been mostly a Mac person for the last 15 years. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, right. I remember so, that. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. those days too. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, that, that's a, that's a good place to end probably. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> it was on slashes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. If you know, you know, well, Brian, you want to, you want to read us out? Uh, I love everybody. What do I say? I love everybody. I got to I got to remember what my actual catchphrase is. <laughs> <laughs>